Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, when I became a Christian, I was uh, raised in a a Christian home, like many of you you know, and many of you know that my dad was a pastor as well, and so I grew up with all of that, right? But when I became a Christian, when I started the process of, of making my faith my own, right, I didn't really think that, uh, think in terms of being a Jesus follower, right, like we've been talking about, right, forging my life on him from the top to the bottom. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, like actually following Jesus. And what does that mean? What does that look like? In fact, I did not really become a Christian because I love Jesus or because I loved God. Pretty much I became a Christian because I loved me. And that's, that's why, right? It was all about me. It really, it was all about heaven. I was like, heck yeah. Right, heaven, that, that sounds good. Uh, right, hell does not sound good. So I, I'm going to pick heaven. That's, that is all I knew at that moment. And I think for many of us, uh, we come into this whole Christian faith thing just like that. As we've said before, a consumer, right? right? Not someone forging our life on God, but someone just consuming God and reaping the benefits. It was just all about how can being a, a good boy and being a, a good teenager as I got older and being a, a good Christian, how can that serve me, Andrew? Right? And for a time, that worked. It, it really did. So, so like we said throughout this series, you will be a better uh, husband. You'll be a better uh, spouse, a better father, right? You'll be a better employee or employer and on and on and on, right? You'll be a, a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend, a better teacher, right? If you follow the teachings of Jesus, right, you're just going to be a, a better person, right? And so I thought I was following Jesus. I thought I was forging my life on him. If you follow the, the teachings of Jesus, I thought, even if you don't think he's, he's divine or even if you don't think the New Testament is inspired, if you follow those teachings, you're just going to be a better person. And the interesting thing is, right, is when you read the, the New Testament, the Gospels that we've been looking through, all of Jesus' followers, all of his disciples and all of the other followers started off that way. Like I did, and like many of you did. Right? All of us started off at one point about what is, it, what is in this for me? Right? What can I get out of this deal? What can I get out of, of this situation? And as we saw last week, Jesus, he started talking about uh, how things and, and difficulties and toughness and struggles were going to come their way. Things were going to start to get kind of bad. And, and Peter, one of his disciples, pulls him aside and says, huh, Jesus, whoa, 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 right? Slow down. Right? Jesus, you, you got to stop with all of this, this negative stuff. Right? You got to stay on the, the positive. Right? You are the guy, is what Peter's saying. And, and we are the guys with the guy. And so as you go, we go. So let's just stay positive. 
Right? This, is, this is what Peter's thinking, as we saw last week. Right? He's thinking, this is working for us. Like, let's not screw it up. And remember what happened, right? Jesus, he, he turned and he, he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> right? He rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. Right? Why did Jesus say that? Oh, he, he said, uh, you don't have uh, my mind, my, my concerns in mind, right? You don't have my will as your will. Right? You have human concerns. You have your own concern. In other words, he's saying you are a consumer. That's what he's telling Peter. You are a consumer. Right? You are following me for what you can get out of this. And Jesus is saying at some point, Peter, at some point you've got to open up your hands and you just got to let go of your agenda. Right, you got to pry open your fingers and let go of your own agenda. Right, quit forging your life on your own wants and on your own desires. Open up and let go in order for me to put my agenda in your hands for your life. And as we've been looking at that, that we've been learning that that is our absolute best life. A life that is rooted in who God is and the will that he has for us. Or as we say here at the Foundry, a life that is forged on him. So now, Foundry Church, right? Here is the tension. right? The, the thing that we need to deal with today as we're continuing on in this follow series of sermons. Right? It's all right to start out like Peter did. Or to start out like I did, right? Ah, oh, yeah, heaven. <laughs> that sounds good. Hell doesn't. Heaven sounds good, right? But we cannot stay there as we're going to forge our life on God. We must move, right? Listen, Foundry Church, at some point, Peter had to give up forging his life on everything other than uh, God and forge it on God. At some point, he had to, he had to move forward in, in forging ahead. And we've, we've got to, to move to something as well. Right? we got to do something as well. Right? And that is where the tension lies, where the tension is. Right? Sometimes this movement in our faith it happens quickly, like really quickly. Right? For Peter, it was one mistake and everything changed. Right? He denied Jesus, boom, right? now he's, right, he's sold out, he gets it, he understands. Now for others of us, like for me, it was a slow dredge of the, the path of following Jesus to get to the point of where I am today. And some, right, some of us, right, will never make that transition. We just won't. We'll never make that transition from, from being a consumer to a follower. Right? And there was one in particular who you know who didn't make that transition. He's one of the most famous or infamous people in all of history, and that's Judas, right? Let's, let's think about that, right? You know, uh, quickly, right, people often give their children biblical names, right? I, heck, have a, have a biblical name, Andrew, right? But to this day, I've never heard someone called or named Judas, right? Right, Judas was a disciple. He was just like Peter. He was just like John and Matthew and all those other guys, and he saw Jesus like the rest of the disciples, or the rest of those followers, they had this idea that God was going to deliver Israel. 
Right? That, that God was going to deliver Israel, that God was going to reestablish the nation of Israel as a national presence and a national entity, a world power, the world power. Right? The Ohio State of world powers, like the world power, right? And they all thought Jesus would do that by putting someone on the throne of Israel. And Rome would be thrown out. They'd be kicked out the doors, and once again, uh, Palestine and Judea and, and that whole part of the world would be under the leadership of a Jewish king, Messiah, deliverer, and a savior. And so, so these guys, the disciples, thought maybe Jesus is that, that guy. <laughs> they thought right, he, he was the, he's the, the new king of Israel, the deliverer, the, the conqueror. And so they waited and they, they watched and they waited and they watched and they waited and they watched. Right? Jesus, he, he certainly spoke like he had authority. Right? Right? They, they never heard anyone speak with that much authority. Right? He, he made so much sense. Uh, and so Judas, one of those disciples, he waited and he watched because for Judas, right, this is what he was waiting for. Jesus was always a means to an end. Now that's, that's where, where he's processing, right? He's thinking Jesus was always to him a means to the end because Judas was a consumer. He never made the transition to a follower, and nor did he ever want to. Right? Jesus was always the, the person that he was in conflict with when it came to personal agendas. Right? But Judas knew that as Jesus rose in power and authority and in popularity, if you are one of Jesus' guys, right, then you're going to rise in popularity and power and authority. Right? So he had, to, he had to connect himself with this Jesus. And there are some things about Jesus that just bugged Judas and these are kind of funny, right? For example, Jesus was too slow for Judas, right? And Jesus, he, he, he did not hate the Romans, right? How can you not hate the Romans? Like, we got to kick them out. But yet, Jesus is helping a centurion Roman soldier? Right? That's kind of funny, right? And so Judas is thinking, if we're going to expel the Romans, and if there's going to be a grassroots movement where we rise up, and we take power and take our land, you've got to hate the Romans, right? He, he's not seeing the full, full picture. And Judas is realizing that Jesus is also, also ostracizing all the religious leaders of the time, right? If, if we're going to have that movement, if Jesus is going to be the Messiah, Judas is like, man, we got to have the temple with us, right? we got to have the, uh, the high priests with us. We gotta have those elders and those religious leaders with us. Now, right, here's what really, really made Judas upset. Right? What really crawled, crawled up Judas' spine and, and upset him. Right? Jesus, he did not seem very intent on building a war chest. Right? This is really what's upsetting Judas. Right? Jesus, he did not seem intent on, on building up a, a war chest, and, and that really bugged Judas. Right? He, he would not get organized, and at times he was just too passive. And Judas is watching all of this, and he's thinking, okay, okay, 
All right? When, when are we going to uh, get this thing kicked off? And when is there going to be the time where we, we storm the gates and we, we take over? And then there's this incident. This incident in the town of Bethany, a small town in the middle of nowhere. And that was the final straw that broke the, the back of the camel for the consumer Judas. Right? The, the straw. The final thing that broke the camel's back. Now think about how relevant that term is in the first century. Right? The camel's back. Right? But for real, right? This is the final thing for Judas. Right? This was the thing, this event that happened in this town of Bethany. After all this other stuff, after he's kind of boiling up, that, that, that boils him over. And that's why we want to look at the story this morning. Right? And this is why. There is a little bit of Judas in all of us. Isn't there? Right? There's a little bit of Judas in all of us, and that is why we need to look at this story. There is something in me, there's something in you, there's something about our agenda, and God, and he has an agenda, and I really want to figure out how in the world can I get God to work on my plans and in my way and according to my agenda. There's a little bit of that in each and every one of us, and that is a huge tension that we kind of got to put in like a headlock and pin it down, right? right? Like we said, at some point in following Jesus, forging our life on God, our agenda, our wants, our desires are going to come into direct conflict with our Heavenly Father's agenda for us, Right? And in that moment, when those two things come head to head, in that moment, it will tell us a lot about ourselves. Like we said last week, it's going to be a defining moment for us. And so here is the story of Judas. Here's how this whole thing came down. Matthew, one of the disciples who was there, Right, in the town of Bethany, the event that broke the camel's back for Judas tells us this, this story. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 26, verses 6 through 9. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And as always, you can take those with you when you leave today. They are free for you to take, to give away, to have. Or you can download the app in the uh, the Foundry Burke app at your favorite app store. There's a QR code on the back of the chairs, and there's a Bible tab that is on there for you. All right, Matthew 26, 6 through 9. i got to have water today because Courtney made bacon. All right. All right, this is Matthew's version of the gospel here, all right? He says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Now keep your finger there. We don't know who Simon was. Right? We, we don't know. We don't know what Simon is this, right? And we don't know if he had leprosy and it went away on its own. We don't know if he had leprosy and, and Jesus came and healed him at a previous time. We don't know if he, he still had it and they were all like, hey, man, he's a great guy. Let's just go over there anyways, right? 
we'll deal with it when we get there, right? Like if he's in the process of that healing, we don't know, right? Right, Simon the leper, right? Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. And then when we look at verses 7 through 9 there, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured all over the head of Jesus as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, like we read, they were like, what are you doing? They got upset. They were mad, right? This is, this is very, very expensive perfume. And now it's on Jesus' head, running down his hair, down the chair, all over the floor. It can't be gathered back up. It was just like throwing money away. And so they were confused. And, and that's why they said, oh, why has she wasted this? Why was this wasted? This, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, Let's think about this, right? This is a very awkward moment at this dinner party, right? Think about this, right? This is like you going to someone's house, and they serve you with the best china that they have, like the real fancy stuff, right, from Buckingham Palace, right? And they, they give you the actual silverware, right? Like actual silver in their ware, right? And, and you sit down, you pick up the fork, and you say, seriously? Right? Seriously? We're going to eat with, with this? With these things? With this fancy of stuff? Right? How much did this all cost? Right? Are you telling me we're going to use this precious china and this actual silver to put dino nuggets into our mouth? Right? <laughs> How much did this cost? Right? Can you imagine what you could have done with this money if you didn't spend it on this stuff? Now imagine the conversation from that point forward. Pretty awkward, right? <laughs> imagine that, right? That's just weird because the rest of the conversation from that point forward at this dinner party, they're looking around the house, the hosts are looking around the house going, what else are they going to judge us for? This is awkward. And so, so this makes me think, this makes me think that Jesus and his disciples, they probably, they probably knew this family well. Right, because I cannot imagine that would come up in the home of a stranger. But now, that's Matthew's account, his, his gospel account. Right? Now, John, right, the, the disciple John, was also there in Bethany at this house. And John would later tell us his account as well. But he would give us a detail, a very important detail, that Matthew leaves out. Right? It was not all the disciples simultaneously coming to the conclusion that there was this terrible waste of resources going on. Right? So if you have your Bibles, now flip over to John chapter 12. All right? John chapter 12 to read his account of this event in Bethany. Verses 4 through 6. Right after the lady comes in, she, she pours the, the perfume over Jesus. It says this, but Judas, but Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself, right? 
Judas, he's the one that kicked this whole conversation off in the first place. Right, so, so apparently, as we find out later, because Judas was not all there, and, and Judas had his own agenda, he was a consumer, not a follower, Judas leans over to someone, maybe to one of the Bartholomews, and he says, hey, Bartholomew, how much do you think that alabaster jar of perfume is worth? Right, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, that's a lot of money, right? What is that, about a year's wages for somebody? Can you believe that? Hey, James. Then he goes on and on. Judas is the one that gets this started. But he did not say this because he cared about the poor. Like we read, he says, oh, no, it's because he's a thief, right? He's a thief, right? So, so here's the deal. Early on, right, Jesus got his disciples together, his, his squad together earlier on and, and before all this story took place. And Judas said, hey, what if I act as the treasurer for our group? Right, what if I'm the, the, the treasurer, and we're like, man, we're certainly not letting Matthew take charge of the money, right? right we don't want a tax collector to do it. And Judas probably said, yeah, I agree with that, and I doubt very seriously if Thomas can count very well. Right? And, so, and so Peter, right, we can't let him do it because Peter's going to spend something, spend it all on something ridiculous the moment he gets excited about it. Right? So, so Judas becomes the treasurer. Right, so, so money was always on Judas's mind. Right, well, where was it? Right, how, how much is there? Right, that kind of thing. Right, how could I steal more of it? Right, he's the, the Bernie Madoff of the disciples. Right, so Judas speaks up. He speaks up at this dinner party, not because he cares about the poor, right, but because he thought the money from the perfume could have helped them. It could have helped him. He thought the, the money could have been uh, helping the team buy off officials. It could, have, it could have helped buy weapons for this revolt that we're, we're hoping for, right? Maybe he even thought maybe it could buy a pillow because we're out here traveling and we don't even have a pillow, right? We have to lay our heads on the rocks, right? Judas is with Jesus all of the time. Right, seeing everything everybody else sees, but his personal agenda, his own personal agenda, the forging of his life on his own wants and on his own desires was so strong. It was so strong, right? He was, he was able to physically follow Jesus, but spiritually, he followed his own heart. Right, now, now Jesus knows the hearts of men, right? <laughs> that is why it's never, uh, 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 it's always a bad idea to, to whisper in Jesus' presence, right? In fact, it's not even a good idea to think a bad thought in Jesus' presence. One of the cool things about the New Testament is people would be thinking something and Jesus would look at them and answer their question. <laughs> kind of a, a pretty cool situation or scenario if it happens to somebody else, not to us, Right? <laughs> But let's, let's take a look at this. Let's keep going with this. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to have you all over today. Matthew 26. All right, now look at verses 10 through 13 with me. Simply says this, but Jesus, aware of this, right, aware of this conversation, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. 
you will not always have me. So she has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. Right? Peter's like, death again, right? All right? I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and disgust. Right? And again, seriously, right? Peter's probably like, oh, here we go again. That's all he can think about is death and dying. Right? You got to knock that off, Jesus. But you know what's interesting? Right? Verse 13 there. Today, us, right? we're fulfilling a part of that prediction. Right? No matter where you are, he says, right, wherever they're going to be telling this story about me, they're going to hear about this woman and the beautiful thing that she did. Now, how can Jesus in this little tiny dusty armpit of the Roman Empire say, you know, you know what? When this story about me is told throughout the world, the world, throughout time, how did he know that? Right? That's, that's crazy. 2,000 years later, here we are. Now here's what happens next, right? It says then. And this is a big then. Right? Matthew tells us the very next thing that happened, the very next part of the story, the very next move that was made. Look at verses 14 through 16. All right? It says, Then Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas, he had enough. <laughs> he had enough, right? That's the point where the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, he was done, right? He was like, if you're going to throw money away, if you're going to allow people to cheer you on, proclaim you as some special person, but just throw money away, we need the money. I want the money, Right? If you're going to be so disrespectful, if you're going to be so irresponsible, if you don't care about anyone anymore about becoming the Messiah and conquering and overthrowing the Romans and throwing off the rabbinic robes and putting on the robes of a king, if, if you are no more interested in that, Judas is thinking, then I'm done. <laughs> and so Judas, Judas he goes to the, the, the chief priest, as we read, and he says, look, I know what your problem is. I know what, what your problem is, right? It's not that you can't find Jesus. It's easy to find Jesus. You just go to the biggest crowd in town, and Jesus is there, right? But the problem is, is that you can't go to that crowd and go, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. You're arrested, all right. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, and take him out of there, right? He's saying you can't do that because if you did that, the people would come after you because they're there to be healed and, and fed. So let me do you a favor, right? I'm going to find a time when you, the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, where you can come and find Jesus in an isolated moment, in a moment where he's alone, and because I'm one of his closest followers, one of his disciples, the treasurer, in fact, I can give them to you, right? So he asks, what are you willing to pay for that? And then here's one of the most absurd statements in the entire New Testament. Verse, verse 16, let me read it again, right? 
From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. What? Right, and we're, we're standing here today, and we're like, okay, Judas, have you not been paying attention? Right? Do you remember the afternoon that you thought you were going to drown, and you woke Jesus up, and he talked to the weather, and the storm stopped? Do you remember the day that you stood out of Lazarus' tomb, and Lazarus has been in there so long? His family was like, don't move the stone. We're good. We've already divvied up his stuff. He's dead. We get it. But still, right, Jesus called that man out of the tomb. Have you forgotten that, Judas? Right? Do you remember the day that he put mud on someone's eyes and they could see? Right? Do you understand that, that this man whose hands have touched the lame and, and they've stood up and they not only walked in the streets, but they danced in the streets and were thinking, you think this you think, Judas, you, you think that you have the power, that you have the intellectual capacity, you have the ability to do what it takes to hand him over? Are you, are you flipping kidding me, Judas, right? That's what we're thinking, right? Founder, it is so absurd, right? It's so absurd when we think of it in that context, but, but come on, right? We're not as guilty as Judas, but almost as guilty. All right, let's, let's think about it. Sometimes when you think about how we pray, um, when we think about how we, we treat God, we're pretty guilty, right? Look, we, we treat God as someone we think we can manipulate, don't we? Right, we pray, and we, we think that we're inviting him into our world. We, we call him into our situation, and we get him to do what we want him to do, and we, we, we just kind of lean on that. And then we say, right, you stay in your corner right, until I need you again, Jesus. Right, you're, you're in my hip pocket, God. That's just where I'm going to keep you at the ready. I'm not going to take you on spring break. I'm not going to take you on this, uh, on this particular business trip, Well, except when I need to close the deal. And then I'm going to pull you out. And I'm going to need you to be next to me and whispering in my ear. Right? right? We say to the God of the universe, you can come into my home, but do not tell me how to parent my kids. Right? We say to him, I'm not letting you see my computer screen. Or I'm not letting you come to school with me. I don't need you to, to know this. Or I don't need you to worry about this environment in my life. I don't need you now. I don't need you, God, but, you know, when my kids are having some struggles, I'll need you then. So just stay in my hip pocket. Stay in the box on the shelf. Listen, Foundry Church. All right, let's, let's get this truth and grab a hold of it. Right? The good news is, although it is disturbing, the good news is, is that that God does not even exist. That God does not even, the hip pocket God, the, the God that we keep in the, the box on the shelf doesn't even exist. It's, it's interesting to me, every time there's a national calamity or, or whatever, people say, how could God, how could God, how could God let such a horrible thing happen to a good people? 
And I always think how I want to grab a microphone in that moment and say to the world that God, right, that God who you decide not to believe in anyways, it's good that you don't believe in him. Because he never existed to begin with. Because the God that does not allow bad things to happen to good people, you can't find him in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Right? That's not our God. Right, That is the God that we like to carry around with us on our hip pocket or in the box on the shelf. And, and somehow for Judas, his God, right, his God was not any larger than his wallet. Right, Because he thought somehow he was going to hand Jesus over to those who want to harm him. And that's crazy, right? This, this dude, Judas, was about to learn the hard way all right, Judas was uh, about to learn a lesson, and it is a lesson that I hope all of us can learn the easy way, and it's simply this, right? That God's hand cannot be forced, and his will cannot be thwarted. Right? Think about that, right? God's hand cannot be forced, and his will cannot be thwarted. That's our God, right? Not a God that we can manipulate and stuff into our pocket. Right now, for 2,000 years, people have tried to figure out why in the world did Judas do this. And the only thing that we can guess, sort of an educated guess at that, is based on what he did before and what happened afterwards, which we'll get to in just a second here. Right? It, it, is that somehow Judas thought he could force the hand of God, right? He could, he could force Jesus to come out and proclaim himself the king of Israel, that Jesus was just not going to go fast enough, so Judas thought, I'm just going to hold the savior of the world's feet to the fire. Right, that perhaps if he, Judas, delivered Jesus over to his enemies, Jesus would not allow something bad to happen to himself, right? I mean, they've, they've tried to arrest Jesus before, but every time they did, Jesus would slip through their fingers. He would walk away. He would disappear. Right? So, Jesus, so Judas, we just have to assume that Judas assumed that Jesus was not about to let anything bad happen to him. Right? He was just going to speed up the process and get a little richer in the same process. And so during Passover, he hears that Jesus is going to take the 12 of the, the disciples, right, the, the core 12 there, to the garden at night and pray. He, he slips out of that dinner party early, and he has something to do, he says. And he sends a message to the Pharisees and to the chief priest. He says, get your guys ready, right? You're going to have to move quick. We're headed to the garden. you got to meet us there. It's going to be dark. It's going to be confusing. So bring torches, bring, bring soldiers, bring the temple guard, the, the palace guard, and I'll be there. And you can arrest the man that I embrace in the darkness. Right? Pay, pay attention. Right? Don't arrest, arrest the wrong guy. Right? We may never have this opportunity again. Right? I'll betray the one. You are to arrest with a kiss because I, Judas, am going to hand over to you the Messiah of God. What an idiot, right? 
What a dummy, right? What was he thinking, right? And so they arrested Jesus. They, they took him, and the disciples fled. We know the story, and Judas left with them. And then here's what happens, right? Matthew tells us, verses 1 through 8 of the next chapter, verse 20, chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. It says, very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders and the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and to the elders, said, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and he hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins, said it wouldn't be right for us to put this money back in the temple treasury since it is payment for murder. After some discussion, they had finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it a cemetery for foreigners. Right? That is why the field is still called the field of blood. <laughs> right? It's like, what about a trial? Right? What trial, right? We've already tried him. We tried a month ago in our minds, right? We just need to execute him. All right, so we're, we're going to get him to the Romans, right? And this is where things begin to fall apart for Judas, right? And apparently Judas is thinking, oh, no. Oh, no, you're not supposed to do that, right? You're, you're supposed to arrest him. You're supposed to try him in our courts. And you're supposed to punish him according to our law. Right, and, and he knew that the Jews, they did not have the right, they did not have the authority, the political clout uh, to crucify anyone or put anyone to death. And so we have to assume that, that he assumed that once the, the Pharisees arrested uh, Jesus and that he got into this hyper-religious context that eventually and finally, right, Jesus would reveal who he really is, and now the next thing he knows, Jesus has been turned over to Pilate, which means Rome will determine Jesus' fate. Right? Right? That is not the, the way Judas planned it out. That's not what he was, was working on. That wasn't the plan he had had put together, things are completely out of control and completely out of his hands. Listen, you, you choose this path. Right? The, the destination is clear. You are responsible for the outcome of this journey, Judas. And now Judas wants to back up. Right? Now Judas wants to undo, right? He wants to undo. Now Judas, he, he, he wants to go back to that moment at the Passover supper and decide not to betray Jesus but there are certain trains that once they leave the station, they're gone. Right? You can't get them back. Right? Isn't that true, right? right? There are just certain decisions that once you make them, you cannot unmake them. You can't get the toothpaste back into the tube. You can receive forgiveness, but circumstances are circumstances are. Right? There are decisions that are difficult to live with. Right? And for Judas, that was a situation that was impossible for him to live with. And so he took his own life. And now for the ultimate expression of religious hypocrisy, right? look at verse 6 again, right? Look at verse 6 again. 
The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it's payment for murder. <laughs> Wait, right? I mean, come on, really, right? You have the, they have this real obscure law. It's not even a law of Moses. It's kind of one of those laws that supports a law that supports a law that they make up to help out another situation. Right? It's the fine print. But anyways, so we can't really, and we don't really want to break our own, our own law, so we need to come up with something new. Is what the religious leaders are thinking. Right? These guys who arrested Jesus at night, who had already decided to put him to death. Like, that's what they wanted. They, they couldn't put him to death, so they, they leveraged Rome to do it. <laughs> but now they're, they're worried about keeping the law. Right? Now they're, they're worried about doing something that's right. right? They, they leveraged the power of Rome to do their bidding, and now they're concerned about keeping the law. Yeah, we don't actually want to put this money into the wrong piggy bank. You know, that could be a problem because it's blood money. Right? And so this is, this is what they do, right? They buy a field with it. Right? They buy a field with it. So now Judas is gone. Right? Jesus has been arrested. Jesus is, is tried. Jesus is crucified. Jesus died. But still, right? Take, take a look at this. Right? Take a look at this. The, that God's hand... Right? God's hand cannot be forced, and his will cannot be thwarted. It just can't, right? In this crazy, strange, unique, kind of almost dramatic Hollywood kind of way, Judas is trying to force God's will. Right? Judas, by staying focused on his own story, becomes an accidental player in the story of your salvation and my salvation. And God's will was actually accomplished through Judas's horrible decision and God's plan actually unfolded as a result of the decision that Judas made to betray Jesus. <laughs> how cool and how strange, right? It's as if God's will, God's hand, right, can't be forced and his will can't be thwarted. It's still working out, right? And so as the, the band comes back up, let me ask this. What does this have to do with us? Right? I mean, what does this story have to do with us? It's simply this, that when we begin following Jesus, right, we, we start like this, right? Like we said, I have a will, and I would like to think that your will, God, will, and my will will line up. But if not, my will be done, right? I have a will, you have a will. Hopefully they're in sync, but if they're not, let my will come through. But along the way, right, as you follow Jesus, our, our little fingers begin to, to be pried open. As we begin to realize that from time to time there is a conflict between our will and thy will. And as we forge ahead, as we submit to the Spirit of God and his, his path and his ways... Our fingers kind of begin to be opened, and our will drops out, and God's will is, is placed in there. And listen, Foundry Church, it is in that conflict, in that prying of the fingers that we learn so much about ourselves. 
right? And it is in that conflict and in that prying of our fingers that Judas's story becomes a little bit of, of our story because there are competing agendas. And so the bottom line is this. We, we've got to live like this. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. We've got to live with that truth on the forefront of every decision and every movement of our lives. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. Foundry Church, it's not a bad thing to want. It's not. In fact, everybody wants, right? We might even be thinking, God, I want uh, what everybody else wants. I want what I've always dreamed of, and it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's not like he's a bad guy, or it's not like she's evil. It's not like it's a bad company. It's not like, you know, this or that. I want my kids to be happy, so I just want this. It's just I know it's not what you want, God. And that's when we say to ourselves, and we we try to justify it. We try to make excuses. And so we have to decide to say, maybe for the first time, God... I want what you want more than I want what I want. Hard thing to say. But that's what a follower of Jesus does. That is what someone who is a follower does. That's how they live their life. Someone who is forging their life on God. It's what we do. It's what we do. Now, because I love you, and because I'm your your pastor, and because I'm a sinner just like you are, I'm going to give you a little wiggle room today, a little cheat code, all right? Because this is tough, right? This is, this is tough to say that. So, so here's your wiggle room. Check this out. Maybe you're not completely there where you can say that. So start with this one, all right? And say this to God. God, I want what you want more. We Go to the next slide. I want to want, all right? Say, I want to want, God, what you want more than I want to want. Does that make sense? That's why you thought it was the same thing on the slides. I want to want what you want. I'm not there yet, God. I don't want it yet. I still want what I want. But I want to want what you want, right? Start there. Start there, right? Right, Just move in the right direction. That's what forging ahead is, right? I want to want what you want more than what I want to want. And if you're willing to say that, if you're willing just to stay there long enough, perhaps our God, the God that we are forging our life on, will begin prying open our fingers just enough that we would do thy will of the Heavenly Father who loves us rather than our own will. Let's stand together and worship this almighty God, the God that has the best way to live, life abundantly, but a life that is forged on him and his will. Let's worship him.